right, guys, we had a great week at BBS. We had a uh, whole lot of excitement. We had some ice cold water in the dumpling booth. Thank you, Wayne. <clears throat> it was fantastic. <clears throat> but uh, there were so many people who got involved in this that we could not have done it without them. But there was one particular person who headed up everything, kept everybody organized, uh, kept us on a roll. And Darlene Mast is our VBS director, and we wanted to give her a small gift and say thank you.
is our prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. He's here, but to manifest himself in such a way that, as the children say, our actions match our passion. Well, we had a great week this week with Vacation Bible School. What you saw this morning was only about a third of what was here. And if you were here Friday night, you couldn't hear yourself think. We had a wonderful, wonderful week. In fact, I found out that these uh, young children take you literally. I mean, you're talking about inheritance. I mean, they just, they take you literally. I told them, <laughs> I had the privilege of speaking to them Wednesday morning and uh, was with them the mornings, but I told them, I said, when you see me, you come and hug me because I love you and I want you to do that. Well, I was walking down the hall on the second floor and uh, going toward room 208, <clears throat> And all of a sudden, I looked up, and there were 40 or 50 of them coming down the hall. They were with their leaders, but their leaders had absolutely no control over them. And they saw me, and one of them said, there's Brother Wayne. And they hit me. <laughs> and it was as cute as it could be, but the more they, they just kept coming. And I started losing my balance. And I tried to put my foot behind me to catch it, but they had their arms around my legs. And I thought to myself, I'm falling. I've been knocked down by a group of four and five-year-olds. They knocked me down on my back. Then they thought, that's the coolest thing. So they all piled on top. <laughs> oh, it was a great, great, great week. And then again, last night, uh, I mean, a Friday night was just a great time. One of the things that I need to do better, and I told a lot of things I need to do better, but one of them I need to do better is to make our visitors as welcome as possible. And I want you to know that we're not going to embarrass you, stand up, stand on your head, say your name. We just want you to know that you're welcome. We, we really appreciate those that visit with us. In fact, we have a little card. It's called The Card. <laughs> That's a great creative name for it. But we ask, it's in the back of each seat, and I just wonder if you would do us the favor of just filling that out, and so we might be in an encouragement to you in some way for whatever reason, things you have on, in your heart or whatever. It's, it's right there on the back of your chair, and if you would just fill it out. And then if you want to turn it in at any time, give it to an usher. Uh, put it in the offering plate with your check for $100,000. I mean, whatever, just put it in and out. At any time, we would really like to have uh, a record of your visit. Well, okay, let's all stand together. And I want everybody to find a visitor, look around and find somebody that's visiting and make them feel welcome.
forgot what I was supposed to. Oh, yes. <laughs> I tell you, I need a lot of help. Wednesday nights, we've been having the Truth Project this summer. Now, if you came this past Wednesday night, you enjoyed sitting in the parking lot by yourself and praying because we didn't have it because of the huge Vacation Bible School we had, but we do have it this Wednesday night. Please, if you just could take the time and come. You talk about the days we're living in, the times we're living in. It so fits that. And here's a preview of what will be this Wednesday night. Now, supper starts at 5.30, dogs and burgers, and then at 6.30, we have everybody come in the auditorium. So here's a preview of that. You know what we're going to do in our tour today? We're going to look inside the box. When we open it up, what should we hear? What should we see? You are going to be amazed. Do you know how many stars we've counted? 76 Hillian. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why is anything in motion? Why do we not have a dead universe? Can you think of that evolving? Why is there order rather than chaos? Why is there life rather than deadness? The impossible becomes possible. Have you ever thought about that?
said in front of the cross it's level ground in other words each of us are equal before we stand before the cross makes us aware that we have a, we serve a, a marvelous God his name is great above all names so let's stand together lift our voices and cry out to him how great is our God the splendor of the King in
be seated and would you just bow your heads with me and draw that imaginary circle around yourself as if nobody else was here but just you and the Lord. And as we prepare to continue to worship him in our gifts and our tithes and our offerings, let this be a time also of just letting him look at you today. You look at him. As you walk into the throne room, just praise him and thank him in the quietness and the stillness of these moments. Ask him if there's anything in your life this morning that grieves or quenches his spirit in any way, any sin that might be in your life. An attitude, perhaps. As you pray for others, we want to particularly remember Curtis and Tom Rattamore as they go on a very, very special missions trip. We want to be praying for them as they leave in the morning. We're going to be praying for the families of those two young men that were found up at Taos that had their funeral here yesterday. We want to be certainly and pray for their families. And for others that are on your heart, our troops, our president, others that might just come to your mind, pray specifically right now for them. And as we prepare our hearts to give this morning, let's just ask the Lord specifically, Lord, what do, should we give? You know, Tradition and culture tells us that summer times are low in people's giving, although the ministry goes on. That's just what the world says. Let's go before the Father and let the Father show himself strong in our life today. Just ask him what you need to give today. Just do it as unto him and in the enablement he gives to you. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have of continuing to worship you this morning now with our gifts. Lord, we know you own it all, and Father, we know that, Father, you just are doing mighty things in these days in our midst. We just pray, Father, that what's given today would be in honor of you, would be a blessing to you. And Father, overwhelm us as to what we're to do individually, and may we be willing in the divine enablement of Christ to do that. Thank you, Father, that victory is never us overcoming our fleshly fears, but Father, it's Jesus overcoming us. Do in and through us what we could never do ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, if you'd come.
Father, that is our heart. We are amazed. Lord, we, we think of the psalmist in the Psalms. It says, what is man that you're mindful of him? Lord, you know every weakness in our life. You know the tendencies, the wicked tendencies of our flesh. You know the times when we've chosen to do it our way and not do it your way. You know the things that we have said that have not been somehow saturated by your spirit and the love within us. And yet, Lord, you still love us. And, Father, we thank you that it is that love, who Christ is, that changes us. We thank you, Lord, for the examples in Scripture of the Apostle John and how he changed to become the apostle of love. And, Father, as we come now to our text today in Jude, we just pray you'll open it up to us. Help us to understand that we can see tendencies in our own flesh as we look at the false teachers. Lord, we recognize that when we're not living surrendered to you, we really have no testimony to anyone. So, Father, in my weakness, would you be my strength? In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Would you turn with me today to Jude, the book of Jude, verse 14 through 16. We're on a sort of a short runway today with all the activities going on. And I'm going to speak fast. You listen quick. Raise your hand if you finish before I do. <laughs> that happens from time to time. We, we've entitled this whole series, Snakes Around the water. Snakes being a false teacher who prey on believers who are determined not to go deep into the Word of God. They're going to stay in the shallows. They're just going to be nominal. And as a result of that, they become the prey for a false teacher. And Jude brings that out so very clearly. Verses 14 through 16 today, we're going to look at the three faces of ungodliness. The three faces of ungodliness. If, you, if ungodliness looked into a mirror, three different things that it perhaps would be seen. Now, by the term ungodly, we talk about the, when somebody leaves God out of the equation. We know that a false teacher, that's the way he lives, that he's denied God in his life. However, we can also see ourselves. We can see glimpses of our flesh when we choose to do things our way and not to do them God's way. When we speak without His saturating what we say, when we do what we're wanting to do instead of what He wants us to do, that qualifies as being ungodly. The three faces of ungodly. Let me get you into it this way. Several years ago at the Southern Baptist Convention, the late Dr. W.A. Criswell was speaking to the pastor's conference. Now, it was at a very critical time for Southern Baptists because the liberals were trying to take over the convention. You say, oh, Wayne, that's just somebody made that up in order for this or that to happen. Well, no, I beg to disagree. I went to seminary to later in life. And when I was at one of our seminaries, which is now completely turned around, I was in a classroom one day when a young man whose education exceeded his intelligence he made the statement that Browning's works were more inspired by God than most of the Old Testament. And I had to sit and listen to this garbage. Classes would begin many times with our mother, which art in heaven. And I could tell you a lot of horror stories of what was going on, the J-D-E-N-P theory, the German historical, the critical method got into our seminaries and literally eroded the authority of God's Word. And so it was a sad day. At this convention, they had asked all the speakers, including Dr. Criswell, not 
to mention liberal or conservative. And by the way, just so you're one, in case you're wondering, I am as conservative as you can get from the end of my toes to the top of my head, and I make no apology for it. I believe in the inerrancy of God's Word. Well, Dr. Criswell was the first speaker on that Monday night. I just, you had to love Dr. Criswell. <laughs> he was his own man, and you rarely told him what to do. He began by saying these words, I want to speak tonight on the curse of liberalism. <laughs> I, thought, oh. I mean, it was amazing. Most of the people were conservative were there, so you heard a great shout. And his second sentence was, I, he said, a skunk by any other name still smells the same. So that really got us into an, an interesting atmosphere. Well, similarly, if Jude were around today, what's going on with people in the Word of God, people in so-called Christianity, I believe he would stand up and say the same thing. I believe he would, in, in identifying false teachers, who distort the Word of God, who exchange the truth for a lie, I believe he would say a snake by any other name still acts like and still speaks the same. A skunk by any other name still smells the same. And Jude begins our text today by showing that these ungodly false teachers will be judged. It's already signed, it's sealed, and it is to be delivered, and nothing's going to change that. In fact, in Jude 14 and verse 15, he says, It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, they were going to be judged. God's coming to judge the, the, th the deeds done and the words spoken of these ungodly people. Now, before we go any further, let me tell you what he's talking about when he refers to Enoch and a prophecy that came from Enoch. He mentions Enoch in the seventh generation of Adam. In fact, there are a couple of lineages of Jesus in the New Testament. In Luke 3, beginning in verse 23, it gives a lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in verse 37 and verse 38, it says, The son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, and remember going backwards now, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. The Jewish people would count Adam as one. So if you'll go and look at that verse, seventh generation from Adam. Adam is counted as one. Now, when Jude says in verse 14, it was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones. Now, when did Enoch ever prophesy and it be found in the Word of God? Well, it was found, he's quoting from a well-known book, a non-canonical book. Now, what I mean by that is, never made it into Scripture, thank God, because there was some interesting things in it. It's not in the Bible. But it was in their day, it was called the Book of Enoch. Jude uses this familiar prophecy from the book of Enoch to seal his argument of the future judgment of these false teachers. Enoch had prophesied that the Lord would return in great glory, bringing with him ten thousands of his holy ones to judge 
the ungodly for their deeds and for what their words. Now he continues in the prophecy of Enoch in verse 15. To execute judgment, and this is just describing what he's going to do, upon all, and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, notice how he uses the term ungodly four times in verse 15. The word ungodly refers to the unrighteous, the lawless, the sinful conduct of people who have no respect for God and, remember, have taken God out of the equation. And it's referring to the lifestyle of these false teachers. Their character, their actions, their words will result in a guilty conviction on the day when the Lord comes and brings about that judgment which has already been signed and sealed. Now, this judgment will be in contrast to the godly who know Christ, who have received him into their hearts, and who live with God forever, eternal life we have in Christ. So Jude calls these false teachers ungodly four times in verse 15. Now there's coming the judgment for these ungodly people that they, for, for what they have done and for what they have said. Now today, we will, I want us to look into a mirror, though. We know that these false teachers are ungodly. We know they deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that they live according to their flesh. But let's look into a mirror because there are similar things that we can see about our flesh. You see, now this is a lifestyle, and they're going to be judged. We have already been judged at the cross, so don't fear that. But at the same time, let's understand how wicked our flesh is. Jesus didn't come to renew our flesh. He came to replace it. Our flesh is not getting any better whatsoever. When we choose not to live by faith, we choose not to be submissive and surrender to his will and his word, we're going to see similarities in our life that do not distinguish us anymore because we're going to look just like the false teachers. That's why it's so important to live what we say that we are. Three things that we want to see, the faces of ungodliness. First of all, we see the ungodly in the face of a grumbler, of a grumbler. Now, each of these three faces that we're going to look at is a lifestyle because it's in the present tense. Remember, that can't be of a believer, but it can be of these false teachers, these, a lifestyle. So this first face of these ungodly snakes is that of a grumbler. These are grumblers, he says, finding fault. Now, the word for grumbler is the word gogustus, and it's one who complains and grumbles with a contentious attitude. A grumbler is one who's always finding fault with everybody else but not himself. The word for finding fault is the word mipsimorius, and it means to blame others. It describes a discontented, complaining person who finds fault with everyone, again, but, but himself. So I'm going to say it again. A grumbler is a malcontent who complains, and this is his lifestyle. It, you, you, never, you always see him this way. And grumbles and is always finding fault with everybody but himself. I know it sounds like a broken record, but I want to make sure we're getting this. He's an ungodly person. The root word for grumblers helps us understand these malcontent people. Now, we look at it, first of all, that these people grumble at the teaching of Christ. You see, God's Word has some hard things to say. And when you find a person that's ungodly, he does not want to hear what God has to say. He does not want to hear the hard things. Like in John 8, it says they heard him and they left because they couldn't take the hard things that Jesus said. The whole crowd left him because they don't want to hear that. They want to hear what tickles their ears and makes them feel better. 
Well, first of all, we see the Jews grumbling at what Jesus said in John 6, 41. He says, therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And he speaks in a spiritual sense. I'm that, he goes on to say, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. That's not cannibalistic. That's a spiritual understanding that you must receive me into your life and that the blood must cleanse you. Just like in the Old Testament when they had the lambs that were innocent and they ate of the flesh and, and the blood was what protected them. He's giving them a picture of that. But the Jews grumbled. They didn't like what he had to say. Interestingly, in the same chapter, in the same teaching, we have his own disciples doing the same thing. John 6, 61. But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? I imagine it did. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. It translates this same word in several Old Testament passages and continues to give us a picture as to what they're grumbling about. It says Israel, we first of all find Israel grumbling not only at God, but at his leaders because they don't like the situation. They don't like their circumstances. In fact, they were hungry, and they said, we wish we could go back to Egypt and eat the garlic. And the, <laughs> you'd have to be really bad off to do that. But they, they, they were grumbling, and it says in Exodus 16, 7, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumblings against the Lord. And what are we, the leaders of Israel said, that you grumble against us? And then we see in Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, again, now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the, out, of the outskirts of the camp. Interesting, isn't it? That there are two things, basically, that we see just in these scriptures of chasing the word grumbling and grumblers. What we find is they grumble against God's Word and complain, and they grumble and complain at the circumstances of life. Isn't that interesting? You see, when you find a person that lives after his flesh, he doesn't like situations in life. God, I think it ought to be this way, but you evidently have a different idea. So for that reason, God, you're out of the equation, and I'm just going to be bitter. And I don't want to hear what your Word has to say. I know you say that that the divorce is something you hate, but I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I'm not going to go to a counselor that's going to tell me the Word of God. I'm going to go find somebody that's going to tell me what I want to hear. I don't like your truth, God. I don't like the Word of God, and I don't like my circumstances. And that is the picture of a false teacher, isn't it interesting? That's his whole lifestyle. Grumbles against God's truth and grumbles against life circumstances. The face of a grumbler. So when you look into a mirror and you're walking after the flesh, that's what you're going to see as a grumbler. You're going to see somebody that only finds fault in others but never finds fault in themselves. They're always right. Everybody else is wrong. Secondly, we see the ungodly in the face of unbridled living. Now, in, in, in verse 16, Jude says of the ungodly that they were following after their own lust. And that word following after has interesting. It's the Greek word poreome, and it means literally to go from one place to another, but in, in random abandonment. There's no pattern here. It's I'm over here now. I'm over, I'm over here tomorrow. I'm over here the next day. I'm over here the next day. And that's sort of the picture. It's, it's erratic. It, it has no pattern to it. It is used here in the sense that these false teachers were totally, and this is interesting, they think they're free. 
but they're in bondage to their whims of their flesh. Whatever it is today, whatever it is tomorrow. It may be lust today. It may be something else tomorrow. Peter adds some things that helps us clarify this a little bit more. It says in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 10, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires, and it puts that in the plural there. So it can, whatever the flesh wants, the flesh gets, and there's no restraint whatsoever. Then again in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, we see how this licentious living is really a mockery to God, and it depicts the last days. He says in verse 3, know this first of all, that in the last days, now when it says in the last days, that means the last of the last, because the word means last, and, and the last days began when the Lord Jesus came, and so when they're pointing towards something, it's the last of the last. Know this first of all, that in the last of the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. That's the false teachers who mock God. These are people that are ungodly. They, they leave off God in all their equation, and it says, following after their own lusts. So Peter tells us that this will be the characteristic of the last, of the last days. I just want to ask you a question. I'm not going to try to answer it. Do you not think that we're living in the last of the last days? When there can be a Bible study ordered by millions by a very wealthy woman on television that says, Jesus is not the only answer. You can find your answer anywhere. You're free. It's a new day. It's a new age. And I'm thinking, do what? We're living in the last of the last days. Just look around you. Can I say something, and just from my love, from my heart to your heart? I hope in this next election, nobody votes a party. I hope we vote God and we start voting candidates that represent God and what he says. I'm telling you, we're in a time that we better start looking at what's out there. Just because it's this party or just because it's that party, truth has got to dominate our life. Truth has got to dominate our decisions. And we're living in a day when people are taking God completely out of the equation and they're not thinking. These are grumblers finding fault, following after their own lust. And the word, the own lust, is epithumia. It's in the plural, which means there's more than one. We always think of it in sexual areas, but it's more than one lust. It's all kinds of lust. It's a strong desire of our flesh to do something or to get something. It's a driving, epi is intensifier. It's a driving, lustful desire. My illustration of that is an 800-pound parrot. Polly wants a cracker now, <laughs> and you have to have it. That's what it is. The word lust, again, is plural. Now, the idea that I get from this is that they're prisoners to whatever it is that the whims of their flesh take them towards. It's like today it may be this, tomorrow it may be that. Whereas a believer may have a particular sin that pulls him. These are people that are totally given to their flesh. And it's interesting. They're the very ones who would tell you that they're free and don't have a clue what that word means. Freedom is never the right to do as you please. Freedom is the power to do as you should. And so we have people imprisoned, people that have imprisoned themselves by taking God out of the equation. As a result of that, whatever their flesh wants like Titus 3.3 3 says, you're blind, deceived, and, and in bondage, chained to the lust of our flesh. 
So ungodliness is seen in the grumbling of people at God's word and at God's and life circumstances. But also ungodliness, when you look in a mirror, is a person who's going to do what he pleases regardless of what anybody says. He lives lawlessly, and that is the characteristic of a false teacher who's imprisoned by his flesh. Thirdly, we see ungodliness in the face of loud mouth boasters. <laughs> Jude says in Jude 16, they speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. It's interesting to me that he uses the word they speak. He uses the word for speak. That's the word lalea in the Greek language. Now, it does mean to speak. You can translate it that way. But it means to speak not necessarily with any intelligence at all. It simply means to make a noise, literally. It literally means to make a noise of any kind. Now, let me give you an example of that. Our little grandson, Stephen's little boy, He'll be two years old this September. I cannot believe it. Ellie, his little daughter, has already turned three in March. But he got on the phone with me the other day, little Luke. Luke doesn't know me very well. I, he's got a surprise coming. And little Luke got on there. I could hear Stephen say, tell Poppy you love him. And he said, no, first of all, I said, say, hi, Poppy. And he went, hi, Poppy. It is the cutest little voice. And then he said, tell him you love him. And he couldn't get the L out real well. He said, I love you. Man, I just, oh, blesses my heart. And I, I know what it does to a parent, but I, you just don't know what it does to a grandparent. Oh, it's awesome. And then the next, he went into a spiel. The next several minutes, I have no clue what he said. <laughs> he spoke in a language that was foreign to me. Isn't it funny how we do when we say, is that, is that right? That's wonderful. We ain't got a clue what he's saying, but we're just trying to act like we know what he's talking about. Lalea to make a noise, but not necessarily to be intelligent. He was speaking, but making no sense whatsoever. That's the word lalea. These people speak, but they have no substance to it. By the way, speaking of Luke, I'm going to take a little detour here. Hey, if you got a picture, we might could show them over here. Oh, oh listen. Ah, I'm just going to quit right here. Y'all have got enough. That's Ellie. Now she's three. She just turned three in March. And that's Luke, and he loves ice cream. And she's feeding him some ice cream right there. In fact, they say when he gets up in the morning, he likes Pooh Bear. And so when he gets up, he just goes, throws a fit. He said, I want Tigger Bear. Tigger Bear. I don't know why he calls him Tigger Bear. Tigger Bear. Tigger Bear. So they go get him his little Pooh Bear. And then he wants juice. And they bring him his juice. And then he does, they said, it's the sweetest thing. As soon as he gets what he wants, he says, Thank you. <laughs> Everything's all right. Well, anyway, back to the sermon. <laughs> they speak, but not necessarily with anything to say. Since the verb is in the present tense, this person who is ungodly is always running his mouth, but never has anything to say. They speak arrogantly. The word arrogantly is the word agkos, and it means oversized, swollen. It's in the sense of boasting. Loud mouth boasters who are always talking and never have anything of substance to say. Like a huge airbag that's full of hot air. Now, Peter tells us that their empty words are filled with what people want to hear. Does that tell you what Paul said? In the last days, people want preachers that will tickle their ears, make them feel better. So, and we, we jumped right into that mindset in the 21st century. 2 Peter 2.18, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice 
by fleshly desires, by sensuality. The word entice is what every one of the fishermen in here, along with myself, everything we do when we go fishing, we're baiting them. We're trying to catch something. We want something for ourselves, but we're going to do it in such a way that entices the other person. We're going to say what they want to hear. We're going to make them feel better because we want something from them. In fact, I might add the next phrase as an illustration of it. Jude says, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. The word flattering is the word thumazo. It means to call someone by your fake and unmeaning words to be in such admiration in all of you that they'll give you what you want from them. He says flattering people for the sake of an advantage. The words gaining an advantage is the one word ophelia, which means for your own profit, for your own advantage. Any time an ungodly person such as these false teachers, says anything that sounds nice and attracts others to them, it's only for their own personal gain and their own personal profit. They want something from you, and they'll tell you what you want to hear in order to get it. They're liars for the sake of their own personal gain. Now, we see then three faces of the ungodly false teachers that Jude has been talking about. But it's interesting, isn't it? You say, Wayne. I've seen every one of these things in my life at different times. Well, welcome to the club because I've seen the same things in my own life. You see, when I say yes to Wayne and I don't say yes to Jesus Christ, my flesh is wicked just like yours is wicked, and it's not getting any better. It's getting worse. That's why we're going to die one day. We're going to get a brand-new body, a glorified body, and be with him forever. But right now, we still have the whims of the flesh. And when I choose my own self, to say no to him and yes to my flesh, then I'm going to end up grumbling about life circumstances. I'm going to be the biggest pity party. I'm going to have the biggest pity party around. it's, It's the old woe is me syndrome. Everything's bad. My goodness. Can't we understand that life works for us, not against us? But we don't when we're not walking after the Spirit. But we also see that face of of uh, unbridled living. I'm going to do what I want to do. And there have been times in my life as a believer I've done exactly that. Boy, have I paid for it. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's the way the flesh operates. And not only that, you end up boasting as a loudmouth and never nothing to say because you want something from somebody else, using people for your own gain. You say, well, Wayne, if, if this is the characteristic of false teachers, how in the world can we see some of this in our own life? I'm trying to tell you. It's not our lifestyle, but it is a picture of the flesh, and we need to look in a mirror real carefully to see whether or not we're living yielded to Christ or whether or not we've chosen to say no to him and yes to our flesh because that's exactly what we look like. You see, the best way, and he's going to tell us this in the rest of the epistle, the best way to stop a false teacher is to live what you say you are. When we live governed by truth, when we live governed by the Spirit of God, then the difference will be they'll see Christ in us and all the things that he manifests through us, and then they see the difference of a false teacher. Read the man's life before you read his book. You'll see the difference immediately. But when the church becomes dull of hearing and when the church gets watered down with what they want rather than what God wants, you can't distinguish between a false teacher and a person who claims to be a believer. You see, you have to understand, a skunk by any other, other name still smells the same. <laughs> flesh is flesh, no matter which side of the cross you put it on. And so I think what we're about to walk into 
is going to be a thrilling time. He's going to end the book as positively as he started it. He started and said, you're secure and you're safe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Tells us how. He's going to end the book the same way. Now live what you say you are. Let him be who he, who he is in and through your life, and that will refute any false teacher before he even opens his mouth. It shows the contrast of a believer and a non-believer. Well, would you stand with me with your heads bowed and eyes closed? and Let's just take this to the Lord and see if he has anything specifically to say to each heart. Terry and the group will be here in a minute. And as they sing, it's a time to listen. I'm going to slip out during the invitation. I'm flying to Tennessee to do a camp, but I want you to be praying for me. Terry will close the service. But I want you to, right now, just pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for the Word. It is a mirror. And Lord, when we look into it, you always reflect either that which we need to see of you, and Lord, we also see those things about ourselves that we don't want to see. And I thank you, Father, that as believers, when you convict us, it's like a horse kicked us in a chest, Lord. There is no relief until we say yes to you. My prayer today, Father, is for that person who might be in this auditorium that doesn't have that, that does whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it, that always is talking, has nothing to say, grumbles about you and grumbles about your word and grumbles about life circumstances. I pray, Father, that person would come to know Christ today. And I pray, Father, you'll draw that heart. And we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, as they sing, just listen to what they have to say. That's, that's the key. Don't sing with them. But at the same time, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I just beg you, you just step out as he's tugging on your heart even right now, and you come toward me and go to my right and your left, and there are people who love to pray with you that the life of Jesus could come into your life and the victory that he's already given to you at the cross. Maybe you're here today and you want to join our church. You go to the same place. Maybe you're here today and you just need to come and pray because when you look in a mirror, you don't see a whole lot different than what Jude would say a false teacher is. You see the same symptoms. And maybe you need to come and renew some things before the Lord because let him forgive you and cleanse you and walk out of here clean and different. Whatever, let the Lord speak to you. You do only as he speaks. So as we pray, listen to Terry and the group and just respond as God leads you.
Amen. Aren't we glad for his amazing grace in our lives? Amen. Uh, be in prayer for Wayne. He took off to the airport. He has uh, been doing a, a student camp for the last 28 years in Tennessee. And so he's going. Uh, I guess those kids are getting pretty old by now. But uh, we are, you know, pray for a great week there for him as he teaches the Word of God. Would you reach out and, and grab hands with someone? We're going to sing, How Great Is Our God. We, uh, we sang it earlier in the service. Let's sing that again. Just the last chorus. Three. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Have a great week.